What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Well, we are so thankful for these videos that uh, show just before I speak. In case you didn't notice it, uh, Pastor Andrew was the one, uh, Andrew uh, Thunder was the one that read those, uh, those verses for us. And uh, I invite you right now to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are completing this series on 1 Corinthians 15. We're looking at verses 50 to 58. Now, in 2015, Matt Damon starred in the movie called The Martian. Some of you may have seen that. I don't know if you can see that very well. But basically, it's called Bring Him Home, The Martian. And let me just quickly tell you in, in just a few words of what the movie is about. It's a science fiction film set in the year 2035. And uh, it depicts an astronaut, Matt Damon, uh, who is... Uh, who's struggling to survive all alone on Mars. What happened is that he was left behind. There was an emergency and his uh, fellow astronauts left the planet believing that he was actually dead. Well, the drama unfolds with Matt Damon in the body of, a, of an earthling trying to survive on the planet of Mars. This planet Mars is hostile to human bodies. The movie shows us how he figures out a way to uh, plant food. He plants potatoes. It's really quite gross because it involves human waste, which I, I won't go further into. But somehow he figures out a way to communicate with Earth. It's really quite clever. And the whole tension and the drama in the movie is centered on Matt Damon's body being unfit for Mars and of course, the massive rescue that is to follow. Now, we see in this uh, just a, a wonderful metaphor for, for us and what God has done for us in rescuing us. 
in 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul is doing is he's doing, well, let's call it a movie spoiler. He's telling us what happens at the end, how the ending uh, unfolds for us. Paul wants the people of Corinth to understand beyond a shadow of a doubt that someday they too will be resurrected. You've heard me say it before. They had no problem believing Jesus was resurrected. What they had a problem with, however, was the fact of their own resurrection. So here's what we know. We know that God sent his son to rescue us from this world, which is full of decay, destruction, uh, deception, and death. We needed a savior, and that's exactly what God sent us. He sent us someone who could save us, and his name, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, understand something. The death of Jesus was not an accident. It wasn't as though God wasn't expecting this to happen. Indeed, uh, Isaiah 53 is the prophecy that tells us that in fact Jesus does die and that Jesus has to die because this is according to God's plan and pleasure to save us. In John chapter 14, we find Jesus speaking to his disciples and Jesus says to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus has come to rescue us from this planet, this planet that is dying, this planet that ends in destruction. Now Thomas, one of the disciples who we sometimes call doubting Thomas, is uh, is also questioning Thomas. Thomas says, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We have no idea. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says those famous words which you and I have memorized, which we repeat time and again. He says in John 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So this is what we need. We needed somebody to rescue us. We needed somebody to deliver us from this life and to deliver us from the death that life on this earth guarantees. So today, what I wanna do is I wanna remind you that Jesus is coming for us. I wanna remind you what will happen and what it will look like. So let's just take a look then at these, uh, these two verses, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and 53. We'll look at verse 51 and 52 next, but let's look, look first at these verses. Paul says, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. We need heavenly bodies so that we can survive in the presence of a holy God. This is something that not a lot of people understand, not a lot of people realize this. That which is unholy, that which is cursed, cannot dwell in the presence of God. And we have been cursed. You can read all about it in Genesis chapter three. God said that that day that Adam and Eve sinned, that day that they disobeyed God, that they would surely die. So what Paul is telling us now is that these bodies, 
that were born on earth, he calls them dying bodies. He says these bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. And the reason is, is that is that heaven is a hostile environment for these earthly bodies. We, we would need a spacesuit, as it were. We would need some kind of clothing, some kind of, of covering. In fact, the Apostle Paul does talk about that, doesn't he? He talks about being clothed with Christ. And that really is what the gospel is all about. It's all about how we are clothed in Christ. So we know that these dying bodies of ours cannot inherit eternal life because these dying bodies are cursed because of sin. So, the good news is that's not the end of the story. Well, it is the end of the story for those who don't put their faith in Christ, but for those who have put their faith in Christ, we understand that we will indeed be given heavenly bodies, and that's what I wanna talk about. What will happen when Jesus returns? Because some of us will still be alive, others of us will be dead, what happens to those who are dead? What happens to those Christians who are alive? Well, let me just quickly point out, first of all, that Christians, for Christians, death is no longer something to be feared. We are not afraid of it because as we know from scripture, Jesus Christ has conquered death. Death is not something that should cause us fear. Why is that? Well, because Death, watch this, could not hold Jesus in the grave. Death could not hold, lay hold of Jesus and hold him in death. We celebrate this every Easter, don't we? We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We rejoice that he is risen, that he's come forth from the grave. What a shock that must have been to Satan and, and his demons. They thought they had Jesus. They thought they'd finally put an end to this, to this Jesus, this so-called Savior, the so-called Messiah of God. But as they discovered, they had no idea what they were dealing with. And Jesus Christ, in that moment when he conquered death, he also conquered the powers of hell, the powers of sin, the powers of Satan so that you and I are no longer under that kind of, of bondage and despair. That's what the death of Jesus did. It liberated us. It, it, it reconciled us to God, and it conquered the powers of hell. So Jesus, in John three sixteen, he makes a promise to us. And everybody has learned the verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, who has faith in him, will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. Now, if you don't understand the story of the resurrection, if you don't understand the story of what happens in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter three, where Adam and Eve sin, then it's hard to understand what John 3.16 is all about. Look it, we are all gonna die. This is a fact, we all know it. It's something we don't like to talk about. It's something that, that actually nobody wants to talk about. We'd like to, we don't like to discuss it, we don't like to think about it. 
I know some people that won't even make a will because they think if they make a will that somehow they're gonna jinx their life and that they'll die shortly after. Uh, it's, it's ludicrous. As Christians, we have, we have no fear of death because we put our faith in Christ and because we believe him, we know that although this earthly body is going to die, we know that we will be given a transformed body we will be transformed into immortal bodies, or if you will, into heavenly bodies. We'll be able to inhabit heaven. We'll be able to inhabit the place where God is because of Jesus Christ. So we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. We'll have eternal bodies. And then Paul, then in the next passage, verses 51 to 52, he says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. And in, if you have the ESV or the KJV, it will say, let me reveal to you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. What does that mean? Well, it means simply that, that some people, when Jesus returns, will not be dead. And at that moment, at that moment that Christ returns, the, the body that you have now will be instantaneously changed into that transformed heavenly body. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever and we who are living will also be transformed. So in that moment, when the trumpet sounds, when Christ returns, it'll be an instantaneous moment. Those, who have, those Christians who have died before us will be resurrected and be given their new glorified bodies at the same moment that we who are still alive will receive a transformed body. It all happens simultaneously. It happens at the same time. And that, my friends, is what we are all waiting for. Uh, it, we read that this in Titus, that this is the blessed hope that we are all looking forward to. So that trumpet blast will signal the return of Christ, and then we, all of us, those who are loved ones, grandma and grandpa, uh, brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles who have died and gone, uh, gone to be in the presence of God, they will at that moment be given their resurrected bodies. Now, upon death, because some people are wondering, well, what happens after I die and Jesus hasn't returned yet? Upon death, people will become disembodied spirits awaiting the resurrection. Jesus said to the criminal, the thief that was on the cross beside him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Why did he say that to that man? Because that man put his faith in Jesus. At the last moments of his life, while he's hanging on a cross, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so Jesus says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So when, when our loved ones die or when we die, if we die before Jesus returns, we will immediately go to be with the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8. He says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away, uh, we are confident, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is, a, this is truly a, a, a wonderful sense of peace that Paul has, and this is a peace that he's communicating with the people of Corinth. He says, it's no problem for me. If I die, 
doesn't matter, I'll go to be with the Lord. He says that again in Philippians, doesn't he? He says, to live as Christ, to die is gain. He says, either way, I'm a winner. I'm a winner because I put my faith in Christ, who is the victor, who has won the battle. It's a beautiful thought. So let's just go back to this idea when we're disembodied spirits. So really, there are three steps for the believer. First of all, we have our earthly body. And then secondly, we have what we call a disembodied state after death, where we are in the presence of the Lord. Some uh, people believe in what we might call soul sleep. We don't believe that. I don't believe that, uh, simply because of what Jesus says to the thief on the cross before, but beside him. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So this disembodied state where we don't have our bodies anymore uh, is a time when we'll be in paradise. And then the third step, of course, the third state, if you will, is being uh, resurrected and being given our, what is, what's it called? Our immortal body, our bodies which are fit for heaven, our bodies that can survive in the presence of an all-holy God. Sometimes you uh, hear the term that God is an all-consuming fire, and I'm gonna tell you, he is an all-consuming fire and will consume anything that is unholy. And it's for this reason, my friends, we need to be given glorified bodies, bodies, our heavenly bodies, bodies that are fit for heaven. Now, I want you just to remember something. We talked about this last week. The Corinthians are not, are not convinced, are not sure of their own resurrection. Again, they have no problem believing that Jesus Christ was resurrected. No problem, but he was perfect. He, he was the miracle worker. He was the one that rose from the dead. And, and there were all kinds of witnesses to that fact. We, we learned about that at the very beginning of chapter 15, didn't we? Paul is speaking here to people who undoubtedly would have believed in what the, the current Greek thinking was about people who died. They believed that, that people, when they died, would occupy a, a section in Hades known as the Fields of Asphodel, which was much like limbo. It's, it's not heaven, it's not hell, it's just a, it's a limbo state. You, you're, it's a neutral state. You're, it's neither good nor bad, it's, but it's, it's nothing. They believe that the majority of people would have been consigned to the fields of Asphodel uh, for eternity. And if you were especially good, you would go to the place called the Elysian Fields. If you've ever seen the gladiator, this is something that the, that the great general uh, speaks about. He speaks about the fact that, that these men who are doing great battle for Rome, if they died that day, it was not a problem because immediately they would go to the Elysian Fields, which is heaven. It was a place for victors, a place for heroes. If you weren't a hero, well, then you went to that, that place for lesser beings called the fields of Asphodel. Now, if you were really bad, if you were not deserving of the Elysian fields, well, then you went to a place called Tartarus, which is hell, which is a place of, of torture, a place where what we would call the, the lake of fire. Paul wants these Corinthians 
to be disabused of their wrong ideas, their wrong notions of who God is and what God's plan is for those who will inherit eternal life. He wants them to understand. By the way, can I just say this? It's very important that you are being informed by scripture and not by the ideas of your culture. I am shocked today at the numbers of people who call themselves Christians who, whose hearts have been invaded by the ideas, the notions of our culture. What, what has happened is that it's Jesus and. We, we, we want to tack things onto our Christianity. And Paul tells us clearly here that, that the ideas of men are not sufficient. The ideas of men fall short. In fact, the ideas of men so often is just plain deception. If we're going to come out from under the deception that holds our whole culture in, in its firm grip, we are going to have to know what Jesus says. We're gonna to have to know what the scripture says. We're gonna to have to be people of the Bible. One of the things I remember from 40 years ago which was very common, is that everybody that went to Sunday school was memorizing scripture verses. Uh, there were Bible studies. Everybody carried their Bible to church. This is why we've asked everybody at our church, please start bringing your Bible to church because my concern as a pastor is that too many people don't know their Bible anymore. They don't know where to find anything. They don't know where anything is in their Bible. And we need to get back in the habit. And I'll say this, uh, Sometimes we as pastors take things for granted. We take for granted that people understand this. But I, I understand that I need to teach you to bring your Bibles to church. Not to be afraid to make notations and to mark it, to underline verses, but I want you to, to learn to love the Bible as the only source of, of, your, of your truth, the truth that you hold dear, and as the only source of wisdom. And that's right, you heard me. I'm, I'm really quite exclusive about this because I think the scripture is very exclusive about this. The ideas of man are a disaster, but the truth that comes from Jesus Christ are the words of life, the words of eternal life. This is something that the disciples understood, didn't they? When Jesus asked his disciples, do you want to turn away from me? Remember, he was teaching some very difficult things. And, and a good number of people did actually leave him. And his disciples, Jesus said, do you guys want to leave me too? And the disciples said, well, <laughs> they're not afraid to admit that it's tough teaching and it's hard to, hard to believe it. But they said, Master, you hold the words of life, the words of eternal life. Where else could we go? We, you and I, need to understand that. We may not be able to understand everything the Bible says. In fact, we might find ourselves feeling uh, maybe a little bit defensive when we read certain passages of Scripture. I know I have. We may feel ourselves feeling a little bit angry at God, maybe angry at the Scripture because it really goes against what maybe our instincts are, what we feel is right. But I'm going to tell you that everything that God tells us is for our good. It's not because God is a cosmic party pooper and he wants to reign in our parade or that he wants to make life miserable for us. No, the scripture is given to us because God loves us. He wants to reveal to us his will and his purpose for us. 
So if you're feeling that the Bible is harsh, it's outdated, that it's too exclusive, that somehow it's not relevant for today, I want you to understand something. God does not change. His word is unchanging. Truth is unchanging. And by the way, there are not multiple truths. There is only one truth. The idea of multiple truths is, a, is well, it's, it's illogical. It makes no sense. Imagine for a moment if there were uh, multiple types of mathematics. Uh, how on earth would we be able to advance as a, as a, as a nation, as a country? How would, how would science advance if we didn't all hold to the same mathematical facts, or shall I use the word mathematical truths? Well, so it is with scripture. It is the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that guides us in this life. And so you and I need to understand what God's will is. We need to understand what will happen in our lives. So Paul's convinced the Corinthians that the resurrection is not an afterthought. This is, this is what a lot of people think. You know, Jesus came on the scene his disciples believed he was going to set up the, the earthly kingdom, his, the Messiah's kingdom, but the plans went wrong, Jesus died, and it's like, oh no, now what are we going to do? Let's, let's develop plan B. I want you to know something. What happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus being arrested, being crucified, being nailed to a cross, being buried, and then being resurrected was all plan A. It's all according to the plan and the wishes of God. This is all, all of this was prophesied in Isaiah 53. Let's be clear about that. In fact, here's what Paul says regarding the resurrection. He says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? And you'll notice that I've included here in the slide where it talks about death losing the victory. It's in Isaiah 28.5. The scriptures speak about this way before it ever happens. Oh, death, where is your sting? We read about that in Hosea chapter 13, verse, verse 14. And if you're looking that up, just want to make a note that this, this is, uh, Paul is quoting this passage from, from the Greek version of the scriptures written in, in that time, Hosea 13, verse 14. So what do we see here? We see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, first of all, was according to God's plan. But more than that, and this is the exciting thing, that the resurrection of every believer was, was foretold hundreds of years before Jesus Christ died on the cross absolutely thrilling. So the scripture's been fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? I got to tell you that when I do funerals, especially when we are at the graveside, this is, these are the verses that I quote. I love to quote these scriptures because even though we're lowering that body into the ground, we know it's just a body being lowered into the ground. We know that that individual uh, if, if he or she was a Christian, is in the presence of Almighty God, and that someday, someday, that body will be resurrected, and it will be an immortal body, a body that's fit for heaven. 
a body that will be at home in heaven. Some of you, if you are a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what I mean when I say this world is not my home. I'm already being transformed. I'm already being changed. I don't have my, my, my transformed body yet, but I have my transformed mind. And I'm feeling that this world is not my home. This world is hostile to me. This world is against who I am. It's against what I believe. It's against my Bible. It's against my truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. Folks, I want you to know something today. The resurrection of the dead is a fundamental part of the gospel message. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that you and I too will be resurrected. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. And there is no sting, there is no victory. Those of us who have lost loved ones, we're gonna see them again. And it, it will be soon and very soon. It won't be long. This is our great hope. This is what we're looking forward to. Now, Paul reminds us that it was always God's great plan. Again, this is not, this, is, this, this idea of, of dying and being resurrected was, was not plan B. It was not, uh, it was not something that God had to scramble to come up with at the last minute. It was always God's plan right from the beginning. So Paul reminds us why we need a savior, and, and here it is. It's because of sin. This is why we die, and this is why we need a savior. It's because of sin. For sin is the sting that results in death. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. Sin is the sting that results in death. That's why we die. That's why Adam and Eve died. That was, and by the way, it's not that they didn't know this was gonna happen. Isn't it funny, we human beings, we know the, the consequences, we know the penalties for our actions, and yet we do it anyway. Well, that is, that is what sin is. That's the power of sin. For sin is the sting that results in death. And watch this, and it's the law that gives sin its power. What is, what's he talking about here? What, what does that mean, that, that the law gives sin its power? Well, here's the thing. If God hadn't given us any law, if God hadn't given, for instance, Adam and Eve a rule, if God, hadn't, if God had not said to Adam and Eve, uh, don't eat the fruit of that tree, well, that they could eat it. And there would, be, there would be no sin. But the fact is there was a law, one law, one thing that they should not do, don't eat the fruit from that tree. The garden is full of trees. There's all kinds of fruit, all kinds of vegetables, all the food they could ever want. And yet, there it was. They, they gave in to temptation. And they, they broke God's only law in the garden. And it, at that minute, that, that sin entered in. Folks, the law gives sin its power. As soon as there's a law, as soon as there's a rule in place, what do we want to do? As a parent of three kids, the minute you say to a kid, okay, don't do that, what do they want to do? They want to do the thing you told them not to do. If you'd never said anything, they probably wouldn't do it. But the minute you point it out, got to try it. Got to find out. Got to taste and see. Got to figure out why dad said no. Why did mom say don't do it? <laughs> the law gives sin its power. And I'm going to tell you, Every one of us 
knows the power of sin. We know when we're breaking God's law, we know when we're doing what God doesn't want us to do. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's gonna deliver me from this, this, this body of death? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't wanna do, I do. This is something we all face. It's something we all experience. This is one of the reasons I love the Apostle Paul. He's so honest, isn't he? about the difficulty of life, about the difficulty of following God's law. But the fact is, is that none of us could do this. None of us could keep the law. Not one of us. Adam and Eve couldn't keep the law. And then after God handed down the law through Moses 3,500 years ago, nobody could, could fully and completely keep the law. There are only two humans in history that we know of that were able to escape, escape death, and that's Enoch, which we read about in Genesis, and then Elijah, the, the great prophet. They're the only two that escape death. Now, I just want to point out something. That does not mean that they were able to enter into eternal life with the body they had. No, they had to, still had to be given a heavenly body, an immortal body, and it would have happened at that, in that moment when they were ushered into the presence of Almighty God. But for the rest of us mortals, we wrestle with sin, we wrestle with death, we wrestle with Satan, and we discover that we, none of us, can keep these laws. None of us can do all the things we're supposed to do. We need a savior. We need help. We're desperately in need of God's help. We need someone who is greater than sin, somebody who's greater than death, and his name is Jesus. We needed somebody superior to the law. I want you to hear that because here's the thing. So many people believe that they can get into heaven by keeping the law or by doing good works. And what they do is they judge themselves. They think, you know what? Compared to everybody else, I'm a pretty good guy. Compared to my wife, I'm an angel. Compared to my kids or compared to my boss, compared to my neighbors. And we think, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. But the fact is, is that God has declared that none of us is good. We're all sinners. This is, what, this is what we read in the Old Testament. We read it in Romans that all of us are unrighteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's our state. That's who we are. Not one person was able to be good enough by keeping the law. Keeping the law doesn't work. God knew that. God knew that. And God, in his, in his wisdom, he gives us the law to show humanity that we need something greater than law. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people who are Christians who think that they can be holy in their own strength or wisdom and that in so doing, they can make it into heaven. The Bible says it's not possible. There's only one way that you're able to enter into heaven. Well, here's what Hebrews says, Hebrews 8, 6 to 7. I would recommend that you mark this in your Bible. It says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. The old priesthood being that which happened in the Old Testament in the temple where priests would offer up 
offerings, blood offerings, because of people's sin. No, Jesus is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. Now look at this. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. The old covenant was a covenant of law. Keep these laws, do good, and God will bless you and God will keep you. But break the law and you come under God's, God's punishment. It, it, it just was not a good enough covenant. It was faulty, as it says here in Hebrews chapter 8, 6 to 7. The new covenant is the covenant in Jesus' blood. Not the blood of animals, but the blood of Jesus. This is a superior covenant. In fact, it's a perfect covenant. Because all who put their faith in Jesus have the promise of eternal life. Have the promise that someday these earthly bodies will be replaced with heavenly bodies, with immortal bodies, bodies that are fit for heaven. Hallelujah. Let me just close uh, with this last verse here. Paul says, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have victory over sin and death in your own strength, in your own power or wisdom. And that's basically what all the religions of the world are trying to do, in some ways, some form. They may not be able to articulate it as the Apostle Paul does, but essentially, if you examine the world religions, that's what you discover. We need Jesus Christ because he was the one who conquered sin and death. And look at this. We are made conquerors as though we were the conquerors when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Essentially, what we're doing is we're putting, as, even as Matt Damon put on the, 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 the spacesuit so he could survive as a Martian in Mar, on Mars, so we're putting on Jesus Christ so that we can survive. In fact, more than survive, we will have victory over sin and death. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you haven't put on Jesus Christ, then you need to do that. You know, I, I remember as a child, I went to Sunday school on and off in the 60s and 70s, and uh, teachers loved to give out little gifts to the students. And we used to get pencils and uh, pencil sharpeners, uh, bookmarks, uh, pencil cases, um, erasers, uh, all sorts of things. And and on these on these little gifts were it was a simple slogan, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Now, we didn't really know what the question was, but we, we were told that Jesus is the answer. In fact, there are some kids in church that came from you know, Christian families that really wanted to get the message out there, and those kids would come to school with T-shirts that said, Jesus is the answer. And people started putting bumper stickers on their car that said, Jesus is the answer. And then suddenly somebody got really smart, and they decided those who were not Christians would put bumper stickers on their, their car and they'd say, what's, what's the question? <laughs> what is the question? Well, that's a really good, that's actually a really good point. What is the question? 
What is the question to which Jesus is the answer? Well, I would say to you that there are uh, a number of questions that we need answers to. And first of all, first and foremost, is what is the answer to broken relationship with God? And the answer is Jesus Christ. What caused that broken relationship with God? Of course, it's sin and the resulting death. Death is an eternity without God unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to our guilty consciences. How do I, how do I get rid of my guilty conscience? This is something everybody understands. In fact, you know what? Sometimes we have to go through a period of suffering, a, a period of really suffering from guilt. Why? So that we will come to the place of repentance. When I hear pastors talk about the fact that they'll be that they're, they're, when you become a Christian, there's no suffering, I'm gonna say, hold on a minute here. Suffering is part of this life, and God uses it for his glory and honor. We experience the pain of a guilty conscience so that we'll turn to Jesus Christ and we'll find the solution to the sin that we are in and the death that we're all facing. Jesus is the answer to a meaningless existence. How many people wake up every morning and they have no reason to live? In fact, we're seeing uh, a, a very significant uh, rise in, in suicides, especially among young people. What's the solution? Well, Jesus is the answer. And by the way, that's why you and I need to be faithful in sharing our faith with other people. What about our worries and doubts? Well, again, Jesus is the answer. Read the word of God. Discover who Jesus is and, and discover what it is to put your faith in Christ and find peace in the midst of your worries and doubts. Folks, this is, this is reality. This is where the, where the rubber meets the road. If you wanna know about the power of our faith, of Christianity, then you need to know Jesus Christ. You need to put your faith in him and discover that he is the one that can wash away your worries and doubts. He's the one that is the answer to the world's problems. You know, we're, in my whole life, my, my, all the years I've lived, I remember them talking about trying to find peace in the Middle East. Every president that I can re remember has tried to broker peace deals between Israel and all the other nations in the Middle East. And I'm gonna tell you that peace will never happen in our time. It will not happen until Jesus Christ returns. And of course, you know what, what will happen. All the, all the kingdoms of the world will gather against God's people at the place called Armageddon. And there, Jesus Christ will conquer Satan, the powers of this world. He'll conquer everything and everyone who sets itself up against God. Now, let me just say this. Not that long ago, we did a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. You remember it. And you remember that at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the parable of the wise man and the foolish men. The, the wise men and the foolish men, they're probably friends, they're, they know each other, they both are saying, let's build a house, and, and uh, the, the wise men and the foolish men, they start scouting out land, the, 
the foolish man, he finds a perfect place to build his house. It's a great view, close to the ocean. It's not a problem. The, the wise man, well, he's a little bit more discerning. And he's looking for a certain kind of, of a property to build his house. He wants to build it on rock. Now, the, the foolish man, he's watching the wise man being so fastidious and, and trying to get it just right. And meanwhile, he's got his whole house built and the, and the wise man, he's hardly even begun yet. What are you doing? And why are you digging those trenches in the ground? What are you doing? And the wise man says, I'm, try, I'm trying to build a foundation on rock. And the wise man said, well, that's not necessary Look at me, I'm already finished building my house, I got a great view, life is great, and I'm building my house at a fraction of the price. And the wise man says, it's fine for you to do whatever you want, but I know what I want. I wanna build my house on the rock. And of course, you know what happens. The storm comes, the wind comes, and the house that's built on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, it stands firm. The man who's built his house on the sand, it collapses. It becomes nothing. It falls to ruin. Folks, I'm going to tell you that anybody who builds their house, who builds their life on Jesus Christ, will find that they will be able to face death. You'll be able to face any temptation. You'll be able to face any storm, any struggle. In fact, you will not be overwhelmed by a guilty conscience. You will not be overwhelmed by fears and by doubts. You will not be over, overwhelmed by broken relationships. Listen, I'm gonna tell you something right now. The, the problems that we have in our society today are problems that arise because we have faulty foundations. We need Jesus Christ. We need to build our lives on Christ and on the teachings of Christ, the wisdom of Christ. We need to put our faith in Christ so that when the storms of life come, when death comes knocking at our door, we will have no fear, no worry. We'll be able to smile and laugh at death in the face. Bring on your worst because I know that I am safe in the master's hands. Listen, folks, we're living in a day and an age, especially in the church, where we have forgotten that it's not Jesus and the, the ideas of man. It's Jesus only. Jesus alone is the solution. But thank God he gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Not the wisdom of man, not the ideas of man. That's why at our church, I am not off on a Marxist rant and a socialism or socialist rant or a social justice rant, critical theory rant. It's Jesus Christ alone. This is all you're gonna hear from this pulpit at Cross Church. Because it's only through Christ that we have victory over the evils of this life and the evils of this world. There is no other solution. And so Paul tells us finally, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Don't give in to the teachings and the ideas and the philosophies of this world. Don't believe what people tell you. Rather, stick to the gospel. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for the Lord and for nobody else. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so I encourage you today in the name of Jesus, 
Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and understand that Christ alone is the answer to the problems in your marriage, the problems in your family, the problems in our society. It's Christ alone. Be strong and immovable. Don't give in. Don't surrender. Stand firm on the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. In fact, work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. My friends, what we do for Christ will last in eternity. What we do for Christ now will echo in eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your grace. Thank you today for Jesus Christ, who is indeed the solution to all of our needs and all of our problems. God, help us, we pray, as the Apostle Paul says, to be strong and immovably and immovable and to continue to work enthusiastically for the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord, not to grow weary of doing good. Help us not to grow weary of giving so that we can help our brothers in Burundi. Help us not to grow weary, Father, of serving at church. Help us not to grow weary of, of sharing our faith with our friends, of witnessing to, to uh, the people in our lives. God, we pray that we would be found to be faithful servants, understanding that Jesus Christ alone is the solution to the problems of this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, thanking you that someday we will have immortal bodies fit for heaven and fit for an eternity in fellowship with you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, have a wonderful day.